What is up, my friends? Welcome to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where I interview incredible fathers, gaining wisdom from their stories for you and I to grow in our craft. I'm your guide, Ned Shout, father to five kiddos, currently ages 8 to 14, and husband to my rad wife, Sarah, working on our 17th year of marriage. So yeah, I'm in the thick of it, the adventure of fatherhood. And I'm working daily to rebel against the low expectations for fathers and create a world where fatherhood matters. You and I have the greatest opportunity to impact our world through the way we embrace the fatherhood role. I believe the role of the father is to serve, guide, provide, protect, and to have fun in the messiness of it all. Today's guest is Morgan Snyder, and I got to tell you guys, you need this. I needed it. It is so solid. You're probably going to have to listen to it a couple times. He wrote a book called Becoming a King, and we talk about the hurried and the becoming and the desire that you and I have to grow in our opportunity as men, as fathers. Enjoy this conversation and please, if you like it, share it because there are other men on the same journey as you who are searching and seeking to become the men they were designed to be. Enjoy. Welcome to Fatherhood Field Notes. I am beyond stoked right now to be talking to Morgan Snyder. Morgan, how are you today? Um, I'm, I'm good. I'm excited. And Ned, it's, it's always strengthening to be with the like-hearted. And just diving into your world with Rebel and Create and Fatherhood Field Notes, like I just know like we have the same heartbeat that echoes the Father heart of God. And so I'm honored to be in this space with you and super excited to connect with your tribe. Yeah, man. Oh, it's going to be so good. So I'm going to just rapid fire some stuff and then I want to okay. get into the meat. Okay. So, awesome. so that guys can know who I'm talking to, uh, how old are you? I'm 44, mostly. Mostly. There's parts of me that are 18. There's parts <laughs> of me that are 15. Um, there's parts of me that are 12 that are still being initiated, but the majority of me is 44. That's a super good answer. I love it. And yes, solid. Okay. And then where do you live? I live in Colorado Springs, Colorado on the foothills of the front range. Came out here 21 years ago to find my heart and to be initiated as a man and fathered as a son. And so, yeah, we're right here in the, in the Rockies and this is our playground. And I live in a suburban house with a postage stamp yard and a minivan in the driveway. And I take my trash out on Tuesdays. So I there think that's <laughs> important to say as well. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. And then how many years have you been married? I've been married for 20 years, but if you nice ask work. Sherry, it's probably either 19 or 21 because I, I always miss it. I'm a storyteller and she tells the details. Got it. Okay. And then how many kids do you have? I have a 16 year old son, Joshua, who's just um, a little um, uh, warrior and heart of my heart. And we love the same things and are cut from the same cloth, but he's a much more whole version than me. And then I've got a little fiery princess, Abigail, that's 13, that has me in wonderful knots. And I am <laughs> all question marks when it comes to initiating a daughter and initiating particularly the daughter entrusted to my care. Mm. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. Right. I've got four daughters and a son and my oldest is Amen. my daughter or, you know, is a girl. So yeah. it's uh, navigating, navigating that. And, and, and uh, what's the age spread of your kids? So I have a eight year old girl. Then okay two 11 year olds twins a boy and a girl they were a surprise because the next one is 12 violet oh she my was goodness she was four months old when um we found out whoops uh pregnant and there's two of them and oh. then we have a the 14 year old so oh my goodness pretty pretty well, close well i feel like i have a bunch of questions for you and i feel like i just need to put a bottle of whiskey in the mail and yeah. just <laughs> just bestow it upon you for christmas and say just put your feet up and savor it. Yeah, exactly. That is, uh, that is something that I enjoy. Um, fantastic. So I think people get an idea who you are. And then in, let's, in a minute or less, what is it that you do? If you were to summarize your, what you do? Yeah, you know, um, I do a lot of work with men. 
to see that their whole heart is restored, that they become everything God meant when he meant them. But one of the kind of flagship ideas that I've put my whole life towards, Ned, is the most important thing about a person is not what they do, it's who they become. And those are the words borrowed from Dallas Willard. So it's interesting. I'm not, I'm not used to answering the question, what I do, um, but it's who I've become. And I think who I've become is a more wholehearted man over two decades of initiation. I've become a son. And out of that context, what I've found is that my absolute passion is loving my wife and, and being a wholehearted husband, a husband that is under renovation and is unfinished, but is loving well and loving deeply out of a true self. And being a dad, it's the core passion of my life of initiating my son and daughter into wholehearted maturity, that they would become life, lifelong learners and lovers. That's the way Sherry and I would kind of name it. Yeah. And then out of that overflow, my passion is to invest in the like-hearted uh, particularly men, but of course it becomes men and women because it's couples, but to shape and be shaped by the men and women that are shaping the world, people of influence and people of leadership in every different form. I love to invest more and more of me into fewer and fewer leaders that they would become the kind of men and women that can be entrusted with what God wants to give to them to bring to the world in every aspect of community, businesses, governments, um, localities, families. And so that's my passion is to see people restored. It starts with my home. Yeah, no. And that's, that's like the, the exact answer because over a year ago when I started this podcast, I didn't want to ask the question, what do you do? I, I hate yeah. that question, how men initially ask each other what they do. And we use it as a tool to kind of size up. How do I feel about myself knowing what you yes. do? So I don't like the question, but, but the reason I ask it is because I want people to hear a, a wide range of what people do for a living yes. and then realize that fatherhood and marriage and manhood is really a level playing field in the sense of it doesn't matter what I do for work to, to, a, to a degree. It's, it's about who I am and who I am becoming. And to know that I don't have to size myself up. If I make 30 grand a year and you make a million a year, it doesn't change that us as men are going to go through and need to go through some of the same things with our spouse, with our kids, with our life. And so that is the reason to ask, um, what does one do? Because it helps men to go, man, I am really not that different than that guy who does this, that, or the other. Yeah. There's a lot of the yeah, same that, things. That really resonates. And at all of our Become Good Soil retreats, we have this um, guideline. We have two guidelines. And one is all technology is powered off. Everyone surrenders their cell phones when they arrive. So it's four days off mm. the grid for our leadership retreats. And the other is we are not allowed to name what we do. The moment mm. you show up, you're a chimney sweep and everyone is a chimney sweep. That's and what's cool. so awesome, Ned, is it's disarming. It's, it's disorienting. It's disruptive. And it's also refreshing because it gets to the essence of what you're describing. What we all share in common, the most important thing we can know about any human being is that we bear the image of God mm. as a man or as a woman. And so that's our common ground. And that's the common place that's being restored. And in time, it has expression in our work and what we do. But I love your approach. Mm. Brad, dig it. All right, a couple quick questions. One is, what has been the best resource to you as you have been a father? Um, if it were be a book, a podcast, uh, a mentor, what was one resource that was really helpful to you as you became a father or, you know, different fatherhood stages? It was people and risking asking questions. We come out of the decade, I name it the decade of exploration and discovery. It's often teenage years into 20s, and now it even goes into 30s with just the lack of kind of initiation yeah. in the ground. But it's a decade of exclamation points. We have figured it out. Whatever it is, our ideology is exclamation points. When you look at protests, um, what's interesting is ask the question, how old are most protesters? And often, they're very young. 
Because when you have four kids and a career and a mortgage and a minivan, you don't often have a lot of energy to go protesting, right? Right, Because you haven't slept for three nights and you have right. a sick kid and you're dealing with online school all of a sudden because of a pandemic. And so what I believe, Ned, in masculine initiation is we come to a point where we have to exchange our exclamation points with question marks. Mm. We have to give ourselves permission to ask the questions. And when I was very passionate and, and intense and thirsty and noticing the check engine lights on the dashboard of my soul, yeah. I began taking my pain and asking questions. So I found older men, found men that I respected in some aspect of life. Um, and then I s simply began to pray too and ask God to show me like, where's a father? And sometimes it'd be the old guy in the Home Depot aisle and plumbing. And I said, I don't know what to do. Can you help me? And so when you ask the question of what was most helpful, what I look back is I see a mosaic of literally hundreds of older men, some intentionally sought after and some just out of a response of a posture in my heart to say, I need to be initiated. I want to become wholehearted. And I need, it starts by asking questions. Mm. Mm, so good. Okay. So resource, ask questions. When you think of the role of the father, how would you define the role of the father? Well, I really, it, it really starts with design. Um, at the epicenter of the of, of reality is a relationship. It's not a math equation mm. and it's not a set of doctrines. It's a person and a fellowship of persons, the father, the son, the Holy spirit. I love Tozier says it something like this. I'm just going to wordsmith it. He says, God thinks and feels and bleeds and suffers just as anyone suffers that the primary currency of the kingdom is joy. God has a personality. All you have to do is look at hippos and bugling bull elk, you know, west of our property, by our, our neighborhood by a couple hours. And you look at wheat and barley and hops and you go, I wonder what he wanted us to do with those things. Like God has a personality and at the epicenter is a father. And one of, you know, a mentor, George, George McDonald in his teaching, it's been so helpful because he says, one of the hardest and gladdest things in all the earth is to cry out father from a whole heart. He says the refusal to look to God is the one central misery and the one central wrong in all of the human experience. And he goes on to say, it's better to have not learned the father than to have learned him wrong. And so I think the only way I can respond, Ned, in full disclosure, of that question is to ask a question back. How have you learned father? And in my story, father was, grew up poor and there was a lot of shame around that. Mm. And he made, he saved the family with his money, with his pay, uh, his change jar when he was eight years old. His dad goes bankrupt, only child, buys three bus tickets with his change for the family to be rescued from Pittsburgh to move to Florida to a living relative. And the message gets seated, I am loved when I come through financially. That was the message. So that was you or that was your dad? That was my dad. And so I grew up in a household, fast forward over four decades of my dad became a, a doctor and a very renowned surgeon. And in our community, that was a big deal. Dad wasn't home. My experience was when he was home, he was exhausted. My experience was he was very quiet. We always had things physically, but what I was lacking was connection, emotion, place to take my questions and my fear and my addictions into high school. And so I had learned that the father was, a, was distant. I had learned that the father is someone that when you provide, you are loved. And so it's performance. And so fast forward in my story, four days, four decades later, 
is the deep vow, I'm loved when I come through. And so what I would have told you is the father is, you know, the Bible says things like he is um, generous. And yet I lived in scarcity. And the Bible would say things like he's courageous, but I lived in fear. And so really the only way to answer that question in love is to ask the question, what have you come to learn and believe about the father? And how does that line up with reality? Let me just go to like this, this, scarcity thing you said. You said, we will say one thing like the Bible says generosity, but then because of our story, we'll live out of scarcity, right? So where is the discovery of that to go, okay, I know truth, but then there's a story that I'm telling myself that's actually not living the facts of truth. Okay. That is a brilliant question. And what's so helpful about that question, Ned, is it's an on-ramp. It is accessible to any one of us at any moment. So let me give an example. Um, da- you know, Dallas Willard suggests, he's a USC philosophy professor, brilliant mind, heart for fatherhood and family, mentor, um, recently uh, passed away. So he says, actions reveal beliefs 100% of the time. Not 99% of the time, 100 This is really what's helpful. In masculine initiation, the choice is humility or humiliation. But in this category, there is not a third choice. So what I'm inviting us to do is choose humility for a moment, okay? And put aside our theology, our creedal statements, whatever we think we have come to believe, what we ought to believe, whatever that face is we put on of should'ves and could'ves, and look at our actions. So I came down into the kitchen um, recently and was going to grab some vitamins out of the cabinet. And I, I had prayed and I had centered myself in meditation, right? Now I'm in the kitchen. I drop the vitamins and they go scattering, scattering all over the floor. And I just go, shit. And I just was go, I don't have time for this. Like literally out loud. Now I've learned okay, pay attention to my soul. And so I stopped in the kitchen with the floor covered with vitamins and said, what do I mean shit? What do I mean I don't have time for this? And this is the chance to explore my core beliefs. And so I stayed in the, in the discomfort and I said, what's in my heart here? And what was surfacing was I felt pressure because I was teaching that afternoon and I didn't have the sufficient block I wanted to prepare. And secondly, I felt scarcity. I said, I don't have enough time for the 30 seconds it will take to clean up these vitamins. And so Ned, it's a normal day in a normal moment. And I'm paying attention not to my response, but to my unedited reaction. And those vitamins demonstrated inside of Morgan is a belief there's not enough there's not enough time specifically, and there's pressure I'm behind. And that is an orphaned part of my soul. And so when you asked how old I am, that's actually a very important question because most of me is 44. And most of me has come to learn God as a generous, abundant father. But that moment of action revealed a portion of my soul that's uninitiated, that's not in relationship with God and needs to be restored. And so it was brilliant because it's not my theology that's helpful. It's my actions revealing my true beliefs. All right. So Morgan, this is solid. And I feel as though men and myself could get an enormous amount of freedom if we really can just understand the tip of the iceberg on this. Okay. So you said something about action is 100% what we believe, okay? So I've, there's kind of two parts of this. Yep. So first part to this is, do we have to first believe before the action? Because I think authenticity to most men is really key. So I don't want to act like the king if I'm not actually internally the king. But is that something that I just need to get over and, mm-hmm. and start acting and then the belief will come along with that? Okay. So that's a piece of it. And, and then that's going to dig into this idea of becoming. So what's your thought on that? The whole action is a hundred percent of what you believe. 
Yeah, I, I, I think um, as you phrase that, what I feel is compassion. Because mm. what surfaces is pressure, right? As soon as you talk about fatherhood, and, and, I, and I actually love this statement that you, you have, have named mastering the craft of fatherhood. Yeah. I have two reactions to that. I love it. That's like what I live for. And I feel pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The pressure is get my act get together. Right. The pressure right. is I'm behind. Whatever it is, my finances, my fitness, my yard work, you name it, I feel behind, right? And so I feel compassion. And what I want to say is uh, there's this brilliant book, Donut Economics, for someone really interested in understanding the times in which we live. Isaiah 44, 19, one of the wise mystics says, no one stops to think. No one stops to discern the times. One of the most courageous thing we can do as leaders is to understand the times. And in it, she describes the more important thing than what your view of reality is, your worldview, is to come to understand you have one. Okay? We all have a worldview. And that worldview is very sophisticated and very mature whether it's right or wrong, okay? And so part of masculine initiation is to slow down and become very curious about what we've come to believe. And we have to do it with great compassion. And here's what I mean. So my, my wife, Sherry, you know, I, there were years where in the guise of trying to be an amazing husband, I put on the Superman cape. And I thought it was love, but in fact, most of the energy was coming out of the false self needing to be validated as a man and to prove I am a good man because I love my wife well. On the outside, from a distance, people go, oh, that guy's killing it. Well, from the inside, if you would have been in our kitchen and seen me in the most intimate places, you would say that that's a scared, angry man. He moves his family around his house with his eyes. His intensity is hurting his wife and not helping her. And so I'm talking about years of, an, of process of restoration, of repentance, of, of, of saying the most important words in my home. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And and so, Ned, I think it's really important to be aware we have a very complex worldview. It's shaping how we see. Believing is seeing. And so that's the best way I could respond to your question. Uh, We think seeing is believing, but believing is seeing. We see things not as they are, but as we are. And so you and I walk into the same room and we see very different things and our view is shaped by our story. And so we have to be very compassionate and also at the same time, very curious about what we've come to believe. Okay. So then the freeing thing then is not in the idea that I start taking action before I believe the freeing or compassionate thing is the word becoming right? That that word is central, right? We talked about the most important thing about a person is not what they do, it's who they become. And so much of the worldview, you know, understanding the times, we are in a very fascinating age in human history. And we could have, like we've talked about before the show, we could do 10 podcasts on 10 subjects. And so I don't want to get on a rabbit trail, but we're in the era of the big me. It, uh, David Brooks made, coined that phrase in The Road to Character, and Taylor Swift brilliantly captured it in the most successful YouTube video of all times by a woman artist. And, and the big me, like, listen to the song, put on Taylor Swift after this video, dance around your house. And what it is, is the celebration of the self, hmm. right? Taylor goes apeshit, crazy, in French, so it's kind of cute, on her boyfriend, And then she slams the door 
and you think like, whoa, what just happened? Like I, I've, I've had this situation. Usually it's me blowing it up, right? But this time it's Taylor Swift. And then she says, I promise that you'll never find another like me. And she's dancing around and it's all, all good. It's all good because I'm me and you're you. And that it's a me-centered reality. In the I generation, in the, in the, the establishment of the iPhone in 2007 and likes in 2009, some of the most destructive forces in the life of a young woman that have ever entered human history, they created a culture that's me-centered, that's self-defining, that's self-initiating, that's self-evaluating, but that's not how the human soul was designed. We were born into a God-bathed, God-breathed, God-initiated reality. And we only find who we are by coming home to our place set uniquely for us in God's story. And so when we have that, it's actually great hope because we can now ask the question, who were we meant to be? And the path towards joy and the path towards peace, it's a homecoming, not to be anything we want to be, but to actually become the person that God intended us to be since before creation of the world. And so that's why it's so hopeful, Ned, to reframe parenting, marriage, fatherhood, career as a response to God, the initiator, and his unique path and process to restore us into wholehearted masculinity and femininity and come home to become the kind of person who's wholehearted and can be entrusted with the care of the parts of creation meant for us to steward. Yes. So a couple questions around that is we're becoming the people that God designed us to be, but there's never really an end to it. Correct. I mean, if I were, you know, I'll talk about it in a minute, but just devoured your, your book, Becoming a King. And so I go, oh, Morgan's just got it figured out, you know, but then you're like, hey, last week um, I said shit in the kitchen and I'm like digging into my soul. So it, the question is, and that's where the compassion, grace, whatever comes in is the idea of becoming is there's no end. And so how do you live with that? No end and be okay with who you are today, but also growing. Okay, so here's the hope. So full disclosure, made love to my wife this morning. Doesn't happen every day, but it happened today. And we laid in bed, had amazing sex, and we prayed, and we looked at the sunrise, and yesterday was a really big day in parenting. Both of our kids were in tears with very different situations. It could have been a disaster. Yesterday actually could have been one of the greatest disasters in the lives of one of our kids and God prevailed. And this morning there was peace, there was joy, there was celebration over the fruit. One mentor said that we will reap in the next decade what we are sowing in this decade. And so there was a time where my wife was in a psychiatric treatment center in 2008. I thought I was losing everything. And here we are in 2020, and there's peace and there's joy and there's life. And so what I want to say is the path of becoming, though there's always more, there, there is fruit in the short term. There is fruit that, that the restoration works. It increases joy. It increases peace. And, and, and Ned, what's so important about this is we cannot control all of our circumstances and all of our outcomes. There are some things we can control but there's some things we can't. And so the question is, can we become the kind of person who has a joy, hmm. who has peace, who has meaning and real relationship apart from circumstances and outcomes that, that, that would be requirements. And I believe that's possible. And you're right. C.S. Lewis said that heaven and the restoration of all things is the consummation of our earthly apprenticeship. And so all of life is an initiation because the best is yet to come. We've lost heaven. We've lost the restoration of all things. And if we know that all of 
of life is preparation, <clears throat> it takes a sort of pressure off. Yes. And one of my mentors died of cancer recently and he battled lung cancer for 12 years and he knew he was dying. And he had the rare privilege of writing his own grave marker. And on it, he said, John Milton Moorhead, end of construction. Thank you for your patience. That's, that's incredible. He understood that all of life was apprenticeship, but also in his dying years, Ned, he was one of the most joyful people I have ever known. And he suffered greatly, but his becoming bared fruit in my life, in the life of hundreds. And so it's both and, and there's great hope. Yes. So the freeing thing that I'm hearing, if I could make a part of Ned's belief and those who are listening is all of life is initiation. I'm apprenticeship or life is a mastering a craft. So it is this continuous journey. However, I need to pause on this. However, can I then maybe frame it as a question to you and yeah. just let you share? Yeah. So Ned, I'm curious, as I say that, where do you go? personally with what I'm sharing, what, what comes up in you? So what comes up in me is a battle of because I don't pause and understand the state of the times where I'm constantly being told how to be a leader and that a leader is a, um, a leader is a, uh, like a guru. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. in a state of our time, if I want to be a leader on fatherhood, then the idea is, you got to be a guru. So there's this destination I'm trying to seek. And since I know internally that I'm not there yet with all the answers that I hold myself back from giving a lot of what I know I could give because I tend to lean into accepting the false ideal that I have to be a guru versus what we're doing right now, which is master the craft of fatherhood, meaning mastering a craft, you're never done. Yes. Right? But, but that's not bad. That's good. Right. And then the idea of initiation and apprenticeship. So in my day and in my world, when I find myself shit, there's vitamins all over the floor. And my, you know, my initial thought is, dude, you don't, you're not a guru. You don't have all the answers. Then my, my initial reaction is to hold back and not give anything because it doesn't feel authentic, but that's because I'm basing authenticity on the lie that the, there's a guru. Okay? Yes. And, and I need to stop and remind myself, no, dude, this is a craft. This is initiation. This is apprenticeship. And by leaning into that, then you're actually becoming. Yes. Which is, which is compassion, joy, and freedom. And like actually living your life, right? Like nope. not under this pressure. So that is where I go with it. And the, the grace, you know, talk, you know, talking to you, you're, you're ahead of me. And I even kind of hate that, but you would be a sage to me, right? So to go, the sage is telling you this because he's been there, he's lived through that and he knows that's the place to be. And so the more that I can pause and live in that space, one, the more I'll enjoy my life. And then the more all people will get from my wife and my kids will get from me um, because I'm not living in a false state state of being. Yes. Yeah, that's, I appreciate your authenticity. And the, the word that's coming up for me that is so central to um, living in reality is the word reciprocity. That I really believe in this journey of initiation is that everyone's a student and everyone's a teacher. And that's where true faith is reciprocal. It's participation. God is not a rule book and he's not a set of beliefs or theological statements. He is a person and people need to be related to. And so I believe we become sages more and more by being lifelong learners and students yeah. and it works both ways. And so, yes, I do believe that in some ways I may be ahead of you for some miles that I've traveled. And also when you say you have four daughters, 
I could feel in my heart a genuine response of, I would like to ask you some questions because I am perplexed, but not in despair. You know, I'm struck down, yeah. but not discouraged. Yes. And so it's both. We're both learning. And ultimately we offer where integrity comes from and authenticity is offering out of what we've lived. And that's where the brilliance of God's design is. There are no shortcuts. See the world, the times in which we live offer shortcuts. I want it quick. I want it cheap. And I want it easy. And when Amazon can deliver at my house, anything, we got a mattress in 24 hours in a box. How does that even happen? We, we habitualize ourselves thinking we can do that with God and in masculine and feminine initiation. And so it's so hopeful that there are no shortcuts, but we offer out of what we've lived. And we live in a culture, Ned, I, I say this with compassion, is we know more than we've lived. We all know so much information, mm. but our living has to catch up with our knowing. We need to rediscover a beginner's mind, give ourselves permission to be young, and out of our haste initiation, the, the, the substance of real life can be offered and also received. So I'm going to ask you, so I'm going to pause for a second on I just want to give like an enormous shout out to the book. Okay. Cause I just was flipping through some pages and want to ask you this question. I've devoured this. It's now my top 10 that I want to dive deep into. So I would just tell you guys, becoming a King is everything we're talking about. And, and so much more. It's really, really good. And what's so powerful is you can tell, I mean, out of your 24 years of adulthood that, all of the failures, all of the wins, the victories, the struggles, it's all here, right? Mm -hmm. It's all here. So it's a lot to go through a book, right? In a week or whatever, and go, I just read through a man's life and all the stuff, the hard days, weeks, months, all of it's here to gain from. So love it. Really, really incredible. So one thing that you mentioned in here is you're talking about wisdom and that's what you had just mentioned. So that's what kind of leads me to this. So question that I wrote in the book, as you can see. Awesome. I love seeing the marked up pages. Yeah. Is wisdom obtained, given, or tapped into? Can you tell me more by what you're asking? So as a, as a young man reading Solomon and, and uh, hearing Solomon didn't ask for riches, he asked for wisdom. Okay. And then he got all the cool stuff. So then you, I asked myself, you know, so I pray for wisdom and patience and then God gave me five kids and I'm like, dude, did I really want wisdom and patience? Like, (laughs) good God. I mean, I'm, I'm 37 now with a 14 year old. And um, so the question is, you know, the wisdom, did I ask for it because I want wisdom or that I wanted to look humble so that I would also get all the cool stuff. I don't know, you know, probably both. So the question is then wisdom, you know, a lot of it feels like it's obtained, like it's a life of being obtained. Um, But then a lot of it feels like you're talking in your book about wisdom is there. You just got to go tap into it. So then is it just, is wisdom given by God or is it tapped into? So I guess given and tapped into, meaning that tapped into is it's always there. Wisdom is always there. It's just up to you to go tap into it. Now, in our day and age, tap into means Google it and get the answer. Okay. So I'm asking, I guess I'm realizing my own thing now is I'm asking the question, like, can I tap into it like a Google? And that's probably not the answer. Uh, So it's, so that was my question is wisdom obtained. So it's just lifelong. Is it given? Does God give it to you or is it tapped into? But then it's it's a beautiful question. And I think where I go back and, and I talk about this and becoming a king is it, Proverbs tells this beautiful story where it says the first work of God, this is just wild to wrap my head around, was wisdom. Mm. And wisdom was the craftsman at God's side. So just think about this. I, I don't even understand that, but it blows my mind because we're talking about mastering the craft of fatherhood, you know, yeah. like bow hunting was the primary context of my masculine initiation 
in the, in the realm of adventure. I didn't spend time in the woods. I didn't spend time in wilderness. And I moved to Colorado. I knew nothing. I was scared. I didn't know survival. I didn't know um, how to put meat in the freezer to feed my family. And over 22 years, I've practiced the craft. And, and it's been an amazing failure after failure story of initiation. And I absolutely love chasing wild. And what I'm struck by is wisdom was the craftsman at God's side. And so what that tells me is all of life is permeated with wisdom. All of creation was birthed out of wisdom. And so what it leads me to ask is how do we recover wisdom? Because it's right there. And I believe, you know, one mentor, this, this horse whisperer, now he, he rescues horses, troubled horses. And he, he, he often said to me, when we are busy, the father is quiet. See, God wants to speak to us. The, the scriptures say that those that belong to God hear what God says. And so if you give your life to God, you can hear his voice. But the issue is not so much in him lacking in speaking. It's our inability to hear what he's saying because we haven't trained ourselves in listening. And so the question is, have we become listeners to the voice of wisdom? And as I said earlier, we can choose humility or humiliation, but there isn't a third choice. And so wisdom is calling out, but God's preferred method is not shouting. God's very patient and he waits to be wanted. And so this question of wisdom is central because we were born into a story where wisdom is the pearl of great price. And the, and the scriptures say the fruit of wisdom actually can bring life to our bodies and our souls and our spirits, but how do we find it? And I believe it begins with a real um, appreciation that all of, the, all of this creation and people and life and story was birthed out of wisdom. And so would we tune our hearts to hear, just like Solomon prayed, my favorite translation is, give me a wise and discerning heart that I might recover life. So when you talk about, when you talk about this, what's, what's hitting me and just to ask is, okay, so 22 years of chasing wild and you realize probably the deeper you go, the less you know. I mean, you know, but you know there's more to learn, yes. right? Yes. And so do you think that, you know, you said there's not a third option. There's humility, there's humiliation. Now, if there were a third option, and do you think that men don't do anything? Okay, so if that was the third option, they don't do anything because they don't want to be humiliated and they haven't been shown that they can live in humility. Cause now you as a hunter, 22 years, there's a humility there, right? Of it's Absolutely. okay. Now I can tell you, you know, it took 22 years and I, and I realized so much more wisdom is to be gained there, but there's a joy in that now because you've submitted yourself to the, this idea of this lifelong craft of hunting. So do we find that a lot of men don't do anything in their marriage, in their ch children's life, in their own life, because they don't want to to live in one of those two of humiliation or humility? Well, I think what I'd, I'd expand it to one larger circle and suggest this, that one of the most beautiful attributes of creation is that God has empowered us with the capacity to choose. Mm. He's given, you know, Pascal says this, the dignity of causality. I just love that phrase. You never, please hear this, we are never a victim. In any and every situation, we always have the power to choose. And masculinity is never synonymous with passivity. And so Adam failed to move. He failed to act, right? Fight, flight, or freeze. And out of shame or fear, we can freeze. That's a choice, Yes. That's, a, that's, a, that's what we're doing with our strength. And so I, I would rephrase the question of what are you choosing? And to go passive and to not act is a choice 
that's driven by fear and shame. And so for the person that's listening to us and there's voices of condemnation or there's voices of I'll never measure up, right? The same voices you and I hear every day. Mm -hmm. What I want to say is, and and I know we're wrapping up. And so I think what I want to say is, son, you are deeply loved. Psalm 23 says, we are actually the chased after ones. I love that, that right now, wherever you are in your story, if you're on a treadmill, if you're in a car, if you're just squeezing a few moments out of a busy life, hoping for some morsels of food, what I want to say is your father has a feast for you. And it begins with pausing and simply receiving love receiving the Father's affection, receiving his invitation to become a son. And, and in, I, I talk about in the book and in Becoming a King, I, I designed a video series and a guidebook to take men through an apprenticeship over time. And they, they can get that all at becomegoodsoil.com. And I'm naming that because we are just scratching the surface right. on yes. these topics, right? This is a body of work curated and distilled over decades. But in it, I tell a story where I came to my first moment of confession and becoming a son. And Ned, I began that day with this simple prayer, God, you are my father and I want to become your son. And so would you father me today? And that was over a decade ago. And I have not missed a day in over a decade, beginning my day, When I wake up, the very first thing I do before I take a leak is I pause and say, God, you are my father. I am your son. And will you father me today? Mm. And it works. I love it. I love it. Man, we could talk forever, but I'm going to ask you one last question and then we'll wrap this up. Yes. Okay. So we didn't talk too much about fatherhood in the sense of you as a dad, but I kind of want to bring it back to that for my last question and think of legacy. So think 20 years from now, you're out standing on the street, peering into the homes of your son and your daughter. What is the life that you see when you look through the window at them and their families? Mm. So when you think legacy, not, you know, what did I leave them financially, but what did I, what did I impart to them that I'm now seeing them live out in their own homes based on my day in day out decisions of how to be a father? You know, as you ask that question, I get emotional and I can just feel the tears rise. And part of it is I spent two years trying to come up with the words of what I feared Hmm. my children would say as my eulogy. What is my fear? What would my wife and my kids say? And these are the words I came up with that they would say, my dad, he came through for many and much proudly and anxiously at the expense of who and what mattered most. Hmm. That that was my deep fear. And that Morgan Snyder out of my false self finds love by coming through and it's exhausting and it causes harm to those that are entrusted to my care. But out of my true self, my deep hope in these years of young kids under my roof is that I model a life in God's kingdom and I give them their own direct access. And so what happens is I work myself out of a job and they come to the point where they no longer need me Mm. because they have God and his kingdom. And when I look through that window and see their family, I see joy. I see people that are relating to each other with dignity and respect, believing that we all bear the image of God and that we all are worthy of love and belonging, that we seek to understand and be understood, to know and be known, that there is a light and easy in the midst of great suffering and that they come to know who God meant them to be and they find their identity in him and their joy in him. And most importantly, they know that this world is 
only the beginning, that the restoration of all things is where the real action lies. And all of this is preparation. Mm. I can't wait for all of us to be there. Mm. Oh, man. Beautiful. Morgan, this has been such a rich conversation, just really deep. And I'm just very grateful for the time that we got to spend together and talk about life and God and family and fatherhood. So I just want to say thank you for the man that you are. Thank you for the work that you have done and continue to do on yourself, um, for yourself, for your family, and for everyone paying attention to, to gain from. So thank you. Thanks, Ned. Yeah, it's an honor to uh, invest in you and your tribe, and I hope we can do it again. Yeah, thank you. Have a wonderful day. I look forward to talking to you again. I told you you needed it. Uh, I needed it. It was so good. We could have talked for hours. I hope you gained a ton. Please go check out his book, Becoming a King. I'm telling you, I underlined that book a ton. There's so much. I'm going to dive deep into it probably the next 12 months, just eating it up. Um, and even saying that the next 12 months, like, dude, just enjoy, enjoy the process. Don't put a time limit on it, but dig it, dig it, dig it. Thank you to Morgan for his time with us. It was powerful, powerful. Please share this. Other dudes need it. And it's up to you and I to invite them into this journey Otherwise, they're just doing it alone, and none of us men especially, we don't want to feel alone. Okay, every Monday I put out this Fatherhood Field Notes podcast interviewing great dads. If you're interested in a shorter podcast, I put one out every Friday, falls under the same spot, rebel and create as craft of fatherhood. And I try to keep it 10, 15 minutes and I just discuss a question somebody sent me or discuss uh, a topic. And so just check it out. See if you dig it. Um, Cause I know, you know, time is of the essence sometimes. So it's a little bit shorter to swallow. I want to say thank you to all you dads out there listening to rebel and creates fatherhood field notes podcast. What you do matters. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse and community needs. This is your guide, Ned. Shout together. Let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in the craft of fatherhood. And if you could take two minutes to help me out, put a lot of work and energy into this because I'm passionate about it. But if you could write a review on iTunes, that would be huge. And the message matters. So send it to one homie and say, dude, check this out. Talk to you next time. 